Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are continuing on with the paper titled Behavior Genetics of the Horse. This was the paper we began last week. It's by Mark J. Deesing and Temple Grandin. And if you're not familiar with Temple Grandin, she's a very unique individual. Um, she's out of Colorado um, State and a wonderful professor, um, great with livestock. Um, she was instrumental in restructuring uh, cattle slaughter in the United States, some of the slaughter plants. She made it more um, welfare friendly for the cattle. She's also been uh, diagnosed with autism since a child. Uh, and they wanted to put her in a home, but her parents refused. And just a bright and wonderful influence on the cattle and the horse industry. So last week we began this paper. This week we're continuing on and we're covering hair whorls in horses. Now the whole, I guess, just of this paper is to find appropriate methods for reducing fearfulness in horses um, and to understand their behavior more. So in essence, high hair whorls are associated with reactivity, but differences uh, can be individual, especially in calm breeds. So there is, um, gosh, a lot of folklore with hair whorls. I remember back in the 90s talking, hearing people talk about hair whorls and all that. So um, this Mark J. Deesing first heard about hair whorls in 1982. He had just graduated a year earlier from horseshoeing school. And uh, one day he was out shoeing um, young Arabian filly and the owner uh, commented about hair whorls. And uh, she said her grandfather had told her that the high swirl meant the horse would be smart. So he had never heard of this. So he kind of investigated what she had said that it's like from Bedouin tribesmen 2000 years ago, they placed great significance on these hair whorls and believe the position of the whorls can predict how friendly or smart a horse was. Now they're normally located in an area between the eyes. Single can be located very high um, or somewhat high between the eyes, low and then very low. Some are on the right, others on the left and some horses have one on both the right and left sides of the face. So if you access the paper, they have a very good picture of the divide, what would be very high, then high, 
then midline, and then low and very low. So very interesting. What do you think of this, Kate? I thought this was brilliant. It went so in-depth about the different um, potential correlations with behavior. But right at the beginning, um, one of the sentences in this that I loved that Temple Grandin wrote, um, which really ties in with what you've said, Nancy, about noticing this in the 90s and hearing people talk about this, is that, um, where is it here? She'd written, all my years of working in the industry had taught me that people who work around cattle or horses daily often make valid observations that scientists working in the laboratory often miss. And I, I just loved the idea that that can open up such, I suppose, an area of um, wonder and like intrigue in the actual horse community that if you notice something, you can come forward and you can say like, you know, over this many years, I've always seen that they have a propensity to behave in this way, or it doesn't even have to be behavior related. And you can be kind of the motivator to research that area and to create change from it, because this was super fascinating that it, like they actually did see the links between the positioning. And did you find Nancy from anecdotally what you would have heard in the nineties that that correlated with what they found when they did the study? Absolutely. I have the, my 25 year old mare has a double whirl and the one on the right is higher than the one on the left. And she, her going to the right has always been much harder than her going to the left. Now, I always thought that was because she's from the racetrack, but in essence, um, this morning, I watched her roll and then gallop off and right away she puts that left foot forward. She's on the left lead to run on out to the pasture. Now, when she went to make a right turn, she switched leads. But if given the opportunity, even from a standstill, she'll step forward with that left leg. And we'll get into the laterality. But I think right now it's the reactiveness um, that we're talking about and how accurate the placement of these worlds can be in assessing. And that helps you know maybe how to train them. Yeah, because the author, one of the authors, Mark, um, points out that he realized the high hair worlds were more likely to resist shearing compared to the horses with low worlds who resisted less. And then he used that as an indicator for how he approached the horse. So when he was going to shoe a horse and he saw they had a high whirl, he avoided making quick movements. If they resisted, he didn't fight against them. He learned a quiet and gentle approach worked better with those um, and would work better, I mean, across the board. But I thought that was a really great way to visually assess and say, right, you know, I need to take a moment, I need to check in because certainly um, having witnessed like farriers having to do a whole heap of horses in a schooling yard, you know, it is a lot of work. It's back breaking and it's high pressure. So having that intuition to just say, okay, let me take a second, let me look, let me assess. And we talked about this as well when we talked about our... Um, 
the whole horse approach to shoeing, which was really great. But he went on to say that he kind of focused in on his three horses and he found that he had a 10-year-old Appaloosa gelding with a hair whirl that was well below the eyes and was as calm as a flat lake. And then his other Appaloosa gelding had a whirl that was well above the eyes and was flighty, reactive, would jump 10 feet if a mouse crossed the trail. Um, and he was insecure, which I, I thought that was a really interesting term to use it's almost like anthropomorphism where we're using human um, traits onto horses a little bit, but the insecurity is a great way to describe um, essentially almost like a fearfulness of what they're doing. Yeah. Not, I think in that eBark survey, they called it boldness or confidence. And um, you know, it's just, so true that my one mayor, she is so vigilant and his mayor, I think her name was Sam. Um, she was the leader too. And she was an alpha mayor and she had the high whirl. Well, I've got the double whirl with the highest being on the right. So that from his observations uh, meant that they could either be really calm or they can be highly reactive, especially when you kind of try to crank down on them or, or even if you mistreat them, they really become belligerent. And I see that in her. And I was her gallop person on the racetrack. And I always finesse that mare to get her around the track, keep her happy. I've never really cranked down on her as far as galloping her. I just kind of rolled right along in a rhythm and that seemed to work the best with that mare. So uh, it's just amazing that something like a hair whirl can indicate possible training methods you should use or what might help it in that individual horse. And they called that the double whirl paradox so it was literally like you, a horse with a double whirl, you'll end up on one extreme or the other. Like Nancy said, super flighty or they can be really calm. Um, and Mark's third horse was a race bred quarter horse mare, two high side-by-side whirls. And her behavior was similar to that of his gelding with the high whirl. But she was what he terms vigilant compared to the gelding's nervousness. So the gelding was motivated by fear, whereas the mayor's vigilance was more like a curious attention to her surroundings. So while she was flighty and still showing traits of um, the high world, it was almost like there was, um, I don't know, like a metered approach to what she was doing at the same time. Yeah, that that was really interesting. And I think... The quarter horse mare was Dell. Oh, yes. No. Was it or was it Jenny? Oh, no, sorry. Jenny was the quarter horse. Dell was the gelding. Yep. And then um, Murphy was the carefree independent one that really was very, very calm. So forget Sam. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just so interesting. And then he started 
taking these observations and he applied them to thousands of horses and they pretty much rang true. Now the double whirl uh, was very apparent as far as calmness, if it was on its home turf or um, had proper training, uh, gentle handling and all that. But if it was in a stressful situation, extremely reactive. So I thought that was interesting. And he was always um, um, careful shoeing those horses because, I mean, I always start with the left side on Greta because that's how she always, I've always done it. And you know what, I'm going to try and do the right side first and see if she wants to pull her leg away or be a little bit, um, you know, feisty for me to do her feet. Cause I just always start on the left side. And he was saying he looks at these whirls and then that determines what side he goes to first. So you want to do the easy side first which would, if your whirl is on the right side, then um, your good way of going will be the left hemisphere of the brain. So you, you want to go ahead and wait, it's the right hemisphere. So you want to pick up the left foot. That's always where the crossover yeah, fuels the crossover. me every time. <laughs> I, it gets me too, but it was so neat that, you know, and, and I was fascinated that this can apply to humans as well. And um, it, it really took him by surprise that the worlds are highly heritable. So if you have a, oh, what would you call it, Kate? Like, a, a I guess, a mare with a right sided whirl and a stallion with the left, a lot of times the offspring had a double. Yeah, it was fascinating. And, and I, I think like for anyone that's listening, that's trying to kind of correlate how direction of hair growth can be linked to temperament. They did a review in human pediatrics and looked at the literature and it shows that Hair and brain form from the same fetal cell layer during de- gestation. Um, and basically at about the 10th week, we have the rapid development of the brain and the hemispheres occurs and the cranial vault rapidly enlarges into that dome-like shape. So the expansion of the skin over the cranium um, and the outgrowth from that will correspond to basically those whirls. So how how the brain is growing, how the cranium grows, and then the skin and hair form from, well, the hair forms from that same fetal cell layer. So it is interesting how it's linked by genetics. Um, and there's a lot more study to be done in it. It's not mutually conclusive um, that it is, you know, a, a direct science, so to speak. But from the studies that have been done so far, it seems very positive and a great kind of indicator, a visual indicator. But what was interesting, too, from this is that they point out the importance. You can use that world as a visual indicator, almost like a roadmap, if it's a foal. But once the horse gets older, 
then you need to take more into account because just looking at the quarrel won't tell you enough because fearfulness can be created from experience and flightiness can be created from experience or bad experience. Um, so there's the actual environment of the horse that's going to play a large role as they age. But if you're looking at buying foals from <laughs> breeding stock, then it's a great place to start. Yeah. Um, and they also applied it to cattle. So I think they studied like 1500 cattle uh, while restrained in a squeeze chute during just like routine handling. I um, thought that was such a nice name for it because we call it a crush in Ireland. Oh, yeah. We used to call it that at the zoo too for the elephants. It was called, called the crush. And, yeah. and it doesn't actually crush them. So it is It is a terrible term for it. But when I saw squeeze shoe, I was like, oh, I need to make a mental note to call it that um, in class in future. <laughs> well, and, you know, it was went along the same lines as the horse. If they had a uh, high whirl, um, they were misbehaving in the squeeze. If they had the low, they were more calmer. Um, I thought it was interesting that they collected data from like 290 thoroughbreds at Santa Anita Park, and it was um, correlated that the, a double whirl um, really enhanced the, I guess, performance of the horses because the best horses um, for the season had a double whirl. So that was kind of amazing to me that, um, you know, I think I'm going to start looking more at their faces um, before going forward with a young horse in training, even though, like Kate says, how they're treated as weanlings and as um, yearlings makes a difference as well. And I think what's interesting about the performance in the double whirl ties back in anecdotally to what Mark said about his double world mare, that even though she was flightier, it was like a vigilance. She was kind of clued in, taking everything in, counting everything as she went. So maybe that does have a link to their ability to process what they're being asked to do, you know, whether it's in a show jumping ring or a dressage, are they able to better visualize um, because of that so that was just something that kind of rang out to me when I read about the performance being better in those horses and then also um, I think to sum up the hair whirls um, because I had a listener say she could not access this paper this week so probably open access period closed but I'm going to try and find it on Google Scholar or somehow get access to it to put on the homepage because it is this whole behavior genetics is a chapter of a book and um, on equine genetics and this behavior genetics, there is so much to it. And even just hair whirls alone, there's a lot of reading on the human aspect the cattle aspect, and then the horse aspect is quite involved. So I'll try and get that for all of our listeners to be able to access if they want to. But basically, 
there's the hair whorls between the eyes. So you look for very high, high, midline, low, and very low. And then you also look for whether they're left or right of the midline of the face. And that would be a vertical midline. And then the horizontal midline is at the eyes. So um, really, really interesting. And whatever side that whirl is on, even if it's a double whirl, it's whatever whirl is higher, then they're going to be less apt to want to go that direction. So like I said, my mare doesn't want to necessarily um, go to the right. She will with a little coaxing, but if you give her the chance, she'll always want to have the left lead or go to the left. Now, the way you know it's not a lameness issue is like today out in the pasture, she started out left lead. And then when she went to go to the right, she changed leads. So you can kind of observe and detect, but they do show a preference. And what did they say with the lunging, Kate? Um, they You let them go the way they want to go first. And, yeah. and that kind of calms them. And by the time you go to change, they're willing to change that lead. So yeah. uh, take into account lameness issues too. But I mean, if they're not lame, this is a wonderful way to get them built up on the side they're not as comfortable with. And it might be something that in your practice you have taught will start with the weaker side. So when you're doing your training and you're doing your lunging, you're sending them out on that side first. But I thought that was a great point that if you send them out on the side they're comfortable with, you're going to get a better um, reaction from them, essentially. And then they'll be more willing to work on the other side afterwards. Yeah. And this is the way I have done it for years with this mare. I've had her since she was a weanling and we did a racing career where I'd have to say I always backtracked her going to the right to loosen her up so she did a mile around the outside wall of the racetrack to um, loosen up and get warmed up before mm -hmm. we would turn and gallop then do her gallop to the left so she was used to going to the right at a trot only because on our racetracks you cannot canter going the wrong way. It's too dangerous. You can only walk or trot. So um, she's always been that way. And to this day, if I go to, you know, lightly lunge her or work with her, she always picks to go the left first. So um, great, just a great read. I can't tell you how interesting this is. And then the next section is the lateralization in the nervous system. So the two types of laterality is motor and sensory. So sensory is mostly, um, you know, the eyes and the nose and that type of using that side of the face. And then the motor laterality is um, handedness. Like we talked about, Greta would like to go left foot first. So uh, remember, Kate, we did the paper where you brought them square 
in a shed row and then let them determine which side went first. And the ones that was it the right foot forward were more positive or was it the left? I can't remember which side they had more of a positive outlook. I can feel my brain panicking, Nancy. Yes, well, you know what? Well, I'll put a link to that podcast, but I believe if they stepped off with the right, they tended to, they were more prone, let's say, to be easier to handle and a more positive outlook and training and all that. But if they stepped off with the left, they were a little harder and more difficult to handle, which ironically, that goes along with the whirls. Yeah, that does ring a bell now that you've said it, but I couldn't confidently say which um, handedness it was. Yeah, that was a, a few years ago. We're we're getting ready to go into our fourth season, believe it or not. So I guess before I never believe it. <laughs> I know, I know. I can't uh I guess be I should research it before I say it, but I remember there was a, a left or right bias. And um I remember thinking, Oh, Greta's got the left bias, you know, for sure. But anyway, that lateralization can be used in training as well. And and once again, just kind of work with it, even if it's their nostrils. So they'll they'll use their nostrils right or left to um, approach food or a novel object. And the right side is more pleasant. And then the left side is when they're vigilant or not quite sure of something. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because, like, as I read it, I know that that occurs obviously in ourselves as well. That propensity to turn a certain way to try and hear better. Um, so it was interesting though that that again is correlated with hair growth. So it's it's fascinated me throughout this entire paper how they can have all of these little effects that are all genetically linked to something that is actually visually there for us to take a cue from. Uh, I know. And, you know, it says when a sudden novel stimulus is presented, horses with a clockwise hair whirl will turn right and horses with a counterclockwise hair whirl will turn left. So um, training horses, they say, to work equally well in either direction is important because we all know they want to bend to a certain side. They have that laterality. So I thought this is fascinating um, just to have see the connection and how it all started when they were in utero. Yeah. And they make a note again um, about the effect that stress has on temperament. So they've said severe stress during adolescence is known to be related to temperament change, but mild stress is also common during adolescence and shouldn't be ignored when we're looking at those temperament changes. And that ties into last week's episode, which was the first half of the paper, where we discussed the intensive handling techniques. What was the term for that again, Nancy? Oh, that was the Miller... A method. It was imprint training. Of imprint training. Yeah, that and, was the word. 
it came out in like 1993 and, um, you know, not with good results. So, um, he, so if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, then definitely have a listen to that as well, because that is a great example of how we can have such a profound effect on temperament and we really can end up detrimentally modifying horses temperament through handling. And so again, when it comes to stressful events during adolescence, they can create those changes in temperament. Um, however, the evidence for this is a little bit scarce. But we saw in those foals that were intensively handled, they reacted differently to stimuli than the foals that weren't so intensively handled. So to kind of cross-study that with the whirls would be interesting as well. Yeah, and... Um, he kind of ties it all together, which I did find his horse name, Sam, in this laterality section. And he bred, raised, and trained both mares himself, so Sam and Bobby. They're both reactive to sudden situations, and they also have a lot of uh, social separation anxiety. However, Sam, who has the right side whirl, vocalizes when separated and makes more attempts to return to the herd as she nickers and whinnies more than Bobby at feeding time. And she has emotional responses to positive and negative stimuli. So um, they tested both those mares on flight and escape turning response. And it was um, just not a coincidence that the one uh, Bobby that has the high left side whirl in escaping would turn to the left and Sam who has the high right side whirl would escape turning to the right. So it, it's just um, unbelievable that, you know, this is out there. And, um, you know, a lot of times, like back in the 90s, we thought it was folklore. Yeah. And I think it would be really fascinating if um, our listeners could send us a quick message, either on Facebook or Instagram, just saying where the world is positioned on your horse. We'll try. I don't know if we can share that picture from the paper with the positioning levels. But if you could, I mean, you can send us a picture, too, of it and let us know if they fit the mold from what the papers covered. Yeah. And what I can do is copy it um, and put it on our Facebook page, um, Conversations in Equine Science. And then I'll also uh, post a picture of two of my horses, especially the one with the double whirl. Kate's going to post it on Instagram. But in, in kind of tying this all together, um, they do bring out that the um, when the horse looks at something that is strange to them or something new, they'll look at it with the left eye until they know it's nothing to worry about. And then they'll switch to the right eye. And um, the research also says that left eye goes back to being vigilant, looking for things that may be a danger. So I just think that prey animal laterality, especially with the eyes, is such a survival mechanism. It's really fascinating. And yeah. there was loads more intricacies to this paper. 
um, that, I mean, as Nancy had said before we started this episode, we could have done six episodes on the hair whirls alone. So if you are interested in this, then um, Nancy will try and get that paper. You can also email authors and request papers. You won't always get a response. You won't always get a paper, but it's worth a try as well if you're interested in it. So you can find the two authors um, and drop. the. There's normally a corresponding email when you search the paper. So even if you don't have access, if you follow the link, you'll be able to email an author to get in touch. Yep. And don't, yeah, send us pictures. Uh, Kate can put them on Instagram. I'll put them on the Facebook page and tell us if it rings true or not. And I'll definitely um, try and find access, but uh, you can also um, email the authors. And you know what, Kate, I'll put their the contact author's email so maybe they can request the paper to be sent to them because it's new. It just came out in July. Brilliant. Okay. I think that's everything I had for this one, Nancy. Oh, this was so much. We could go on another hour. We haven't even touched the pond. <laughs> I know. I realized, as I said, I think this is everything I had. It's everything I have managed to store in my brain from this time. And I even read it multiple times and it was just so much information to um, put in your brain to do a 30 minute episode, you know, but um, I think it's always best for the readers to read it themselves and apply it um, to their horse and then let us know um, how it. Yeah, it very interested. Yep. Okay, Kate. Well, thanks so much. And we'll see everybody next week. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye bye.